Welcome to Pixel Pizza. Did she say pizza? Your ultimate source for chiptunes, video game talk, and pepperoni. Delivered to you from Los Angeles and into the digital cyberspace of the 2020s. Pizza power! That's right, when super giant pizza. I want a large, thick crust with double cheese, ham, pepperoni. Pizza time. Welcome back to Pixel Pizza. You just listened to our chiptune artist of the week, Duality Micro, and their track, Delazy Beats. And now we are kicking off our interview portion of the show. I am very excited to be speaking with these two guests. They just had a big Kickstarter hit with Culebra and the Souls of Limbo. And this is Paolo and Pavel Lara. How are you guys doing? We're doing well. Thank you very much for inviting us, Jared. Absolutely. Yes. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. So I want to ask, because I always ask, when was the first time in your life when you guys realized you wanted to work in games? Well, um, let's see. That's actually a funny question because uh, since uh, I was very young, um, I've always been working on uh, drawings for video game characters and things like that, but I never saw uh, video gaming as a career, really, especially uh, in Dominican Republic because uh, where we were born, um, because um, it wasn't really, a, there was not really an area for it. And with the internet being so underdeveloped, um, it, it, it never crossed my mind. But then one thing led me to illustration as an art form. And then I discovered that I really enjoyed working uh, in video game uh, content. So yeah, uh, college, like 20 years, maybe. I was 20 years old or something around those lines. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to try it. As, as for me, um, I actually started, uh, like, I guess it's no surprise that I've been, uh, been playing games uh, for, like through my whole life. I mean, I guess most people that like, get into making video games do it out of passion. Uh, but I started I started uh, toying around with Game Maker when I was in high school. Uh, I first started making, like, fan games, like, of, of Zelda, uh, and just to get, like, a little bit of practice. And over time, uh, I we, we I talked with my brother Paulo, and I decided I, we thought like, hey, since I've been experimenting with this software for making games for a while, it would be cool if we actually like give it a shot to try to make making games. And it was just something of one day that we decided, hey, let's give this a shot, and we decided we started making a mobile game uh, as our first project. And from there, it, everything led to where we are at right now. Yes. It, it also came as an opportunity given that since I was an illustrator already who had an inclination for video games and he being a programmer with the same inclination, everything just fall into place to give it a try. Right. That's that's pretty crazy that, you know, your brothers and your skill sets just merge together so well. 
I'm pretty fortunate in that regard. <laughs> For our first attempt, actually, the only thing we were missing was an audio designer or composer. And thankfully, we met Zach Strifo by coincidence on internet. Uh, it, it was pretty much like the first link we found, and he turned out to be uh, like incredible. <laughs> and yeah, with him, we did the first project and the one we're currently working on as a music composer. How did you end up finding him? Well, just Google. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, you just Google sure. like game composers. Yeah, I remember that it left me something around some kind of Newgrounds link. And I oh. said, hey, that, that sounds nice. Let's give this this guy a try. And yeah, it, it, it just worked. It just clicked. <laughs> That's awesome. So what did that first project look like? Oh, go ahead. Oh, the first project uh, was an endless runner. And I, it's actually, uh, I guess, for the current project we're working on. The current project is Culebrante Souls of Limbo. Uh, and it's a, and the first game we made was actually, what would you say, uh, it was actually the same setting. Uh, let me just get, rephrase a little bit. The, or the game we're working on is actually a reimagination of our original uh, game. Our original game was an endless runner where you control a snake avoiding obstacles. And it was it was our first game that we decided to make for mobile market because it was a little much a much smaller scale game. We couldn't like jump straight into making a whole console game, so it was a good, yeah. uh, good starting point. And you will snake your way through obstacles. One day, because of technical difficulties, we couldn't have like a snake, a full snake, like say going around. So to make it easier for us, we sectioned the snake, uh, the snakes into pieces, which became bones, and we decided to, and everything led to have like the dead of the day, uh, the theme, the day of the dead theme, right. and yeah, we basically fell in love with the setting and the characters, and we decided for the next project we will take all the settings and characters and reimagine them into an adventure game. So we rescue what we really like about the game and try to give it a different spin on it. That's great. So what was it like sort of reinterpreting those characters in that world that you had already made into the context of an adventure game? Well, it's, uh, let's see, because I remember that we started with the idea of rescuing, rescuing the characters of, of Culebra, obviously, given the the, the, the the care that we had for them. So we decided to start the game with um, a, classical, a classic point and click game. Um, so you would go around the world of uh, Limbo and try to solve puzzles, uh, looking at the screen. Ooh, it took creaks. <laughs> uh, try to solve uh, puzzles uh, around the town uh, just by clicking, etc. A, a pretty classic uh, adventure game. But in a way, it wasn't feeling very uh, visceral, maybe for the lack of a better word. So we decided to add more control over the character and add some fun mechanics that would make the game feel more like a, um, a 3D platformer in a way. But uh, trying to keep things uh, considerate, given the our development team and the size of of our of our team, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. We, so yeah, the the idea of making the, an adventure game more interactive or uh, or giving the sense of more control is what uh, took us to the mix of an adventure game and which use of puzzles in a three D environment. 
I think this is the theming of the game because we have the day of the day theme and the original game. The objective is that you started in a desert and you went to a town and it was like a whole process of going from like to the afterlife. It was like a whole journey. Uh, and we, and the, from that uh, from that game, we kind of wanted to, oh, okay, so we can maybe make a game about like uh, dealing with people like in the afterlife. And one part of the original game is that well, you travel, you will meet other people that had like problems and they will tell you their story. So from there, we decided like, oh, maybe we can actually uh, take these characters that you meet and have their problems and make a game about around that revolves around helping souls uh, that are stuck with uh, some unintended tools, I think it, it will be said, uh, with the remaining problems. And from there, we took inspiration from other games like Zelda Majora's Mask. If you're familiar with that game. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. A huge, that. a huge part of that game was uh, the time loop where uh, you will help people within uh, and the game will constantly like repeat the same three days. And you will use that as clues to help characters that have their problems. And from there, we decided, oh, we can probably make a game that takes that mechanic but makes like makes it like the whole center of it. And that's where we uh, that's where we took off to develop the rest of the mechanics of the game. The game has gone through a lot of iterations. Like Paolo mentioned before, it went from a from a mobile game to a first person point and click to then a third person adventure game. It's been it's been quite a journey. <laughs> but yeah, something something to highlight from that whole adventure is that when we made our first version of the mobile game, uh, we felt like uh, this game style wasn't really clicking for us. So we decided to go for something we felt more familiar with, which were the 3D platformers and adventure games that we played when we were kids and we still play. So um, we decided to go a little uh, a little higher on the on the amount of uh, work or 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 production uh, just to give it a try. So yeah. That's great. I wonder how would you like portray like controlling a snake from a first person point of view? That's that's an interesting. Uh, yeah, it's uh, I, I guess it's similar uh, to a game. I guess uh, it's like a Professor Layton. Like if oh, you're familiar yeah. with that one, it, it will be it will be that. Like you wouldn't see the snake. Like you will see it talking with other characters. When you will actually see it on the screen, you will just like touch things on points of interest, and you will move from one uh, from one screen to another. Where we actually thought it would be better if you could see the character at all times, and we kind of should make. That's why we decided to make the shift to more uh, third person view. Yeah, and from from what I've played, that definitely works. Especially, yeah, like it just makes it so much more distinct. Uh, thank you. Well, I'm glad to, <laughs> glad to know we made a, we made a good decision there. <laughs> I think that's so. how you. I would say that at least that's how you end up with a snake character walking in the shape of an S, just like jumping around. So oh yeah, yeah. I don't think I would. I, I would have uh, come up with that idea on my own. It's just the result of years of experimenting with the character. Was like. Growing up in the Dominican Republic, was Day of the Dead a big thing for you guys? Uh, not really, actually. Uh, in the Dominican Republic, that's not a, a, a celebration by any means. But mm -hmm. since or since the main reason why we ended up working with the Day of the Dead 
it was mainly because of the uh, hardware limitation, not hardware, <laughs> uh, software limitations we had back uh, back in the mobile version. So we decided to uh, work with something that would be uh, thematic for the the theme of the of the uh, skeletal skeletal snake. So we took inspiration from that theme and, and pretty much everything fell into place. Yeah, that's always, I feel like, where the most interesting decisions come from, or the limitations. Mm. I was speaking with, this was a long time ago, but I was speaking with a composer of chiptune music, which is, I mean, are you guys familiar with chiptune music? That's like a, 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 a music for like SNES. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, so like, like so, 8-bit, 16-bit music. Oh, okay. Right, and so people, you know, still make music in that style just for fun, and I was speaking to one of the composers who does that and he was saying so much of, you know, his melody ideas and his compositions are sort of creatively driven from the limitations of working on that really old type of hardware. Hmm. Oh yeah, definitely agree. I, I guess I, well, I guess it's a little tangent. I, I, a little, I'm very fond like, from like chiptune style music. Uh, but besides, besides that point, no, yeah, I do agree. Like the whole thing of the game we have, Culebra, is like everything a, li a little happy accident. I say, like mm -hmm. that's not something. That's not something we will ever, like Paul mentioned, we will never come up, come up with that on our own if it were for all the hurdles we have to jump through. So mm -hmm. I couldn't agree more with that with what he said. For sure. So you guys are in the Chicago area right now, right? Yes. So yep. what led you to move to the States? Actually, um, for the for the same reason, well, it's been uh, eight years, I believe, since uh, uh, since we since we moved. I'm at like 31 right now. So it's, most of my life I spent it in the Dominican Republic. But at this point, it's almost merging. Um, but the reason why why we moved uh, was mainly because of uh, a work opportunity regarding video games, for example, we decided to uh, uh, to come here to study and to try to uh, uh, create a career in the area of illustrations or video games or something related to my area of expertise, uh, for example. And then one thing led to the other. Uh, turns out that college was very expensive and mm -hmm. I started working as a freelancer. Um, the same area and I ended up getting a job uh, around the area as an illustrator as well and yeah, yeah it, it, it wasn't very uh, carefully planned but mm -hmm. it happened yeah you just okay if I fell into place I felt like I said that a lot <laughs> uh, but it actually yeah like in the Dominican Republic like the opportunity to get, get started in working into video games like comparing the Dominican Republic versus here is like a huge margin like here is more uh, there's like more opportunities uh i wanted also to go to a college specifically for uh video game development and to learn but again it was a uh, kind of expensive so i decided to go to a community college to focus on learning general programming and that actually ended up working out pretty well for me like i learned most of the things that i uh, even if it wasn't specifically game related i think like they are general enough that it can be applied into video games so it worked out for the for the better for me i also learned a few things for like website design that we use for a website page so that worked well too oh that's great that's so cool when skills can be transferable like that 
Oh yeah, he's, uh, I have to say that his versatility as a programmer has been very helpful because he, he has tweaked uh, in web design, also game design, and uh, any other programming skills that we need, he pretty much makes up for it. I, I try to do the same thing, wow. but just in between jumping between illustrations and 3D modeling, animation, etc. But it's very, uh, very uh, within the, the, the video game area, I guess. Yeah, after, after I learned like the basics of programming, it's mostly like, oh, what do we need? And I just like try to research what tools uh, is better for that. And I kind of get into working from there. So it's more like a, a need to know basis. Sure. I guess as, I, as, I, as uh, things come up, I kind of learn that. And hey, I mean, it's worked pretty well for at least for me thus far. Yeah, it sounds like it. And Chicago is, I've, from what I've heard and seen, a really cool hub for game development. I know I had uh, my friend Owen, who's at Jackbox Games, and they're around there. Oh, yeah. That's, that's uh, something that caught me by surprise, actually, because we moved here not knowing anything about that, but actually finding out that there's like a huge community uh, here of video game developers and, uh, as well as companies. Like I knew Washington had, uh, I think California had, uh, had a, a lot of, Oh, has. Oh, no, yeah. They still exist. Uh, but anyways, they, they have a lot, but actually I was surprised by the amount of like groups here. There's a group of uh, a group of, indie, of people interested into the indie development, uh, a group of people like a support group, and we actually found out about them and we go to those meetings frequently. And it's actually a pretty good, uh, I guess, how would you call that, encouraging? A oh, little bit. that's great. Yeah, it's like a, it works very well as a support group, and people like they encourage each other and they show their projects, and it's a it's a good time. But it caught us by surprise. That's not something we didn't know at all. We didn't plan. It just oh yeah, and and I have to admit personally that we're not very social in that regard. I guess it's like the indie curse, <laughs> you know. <laughs> A sense but yeah um there are i know there are plenty of groups here but i i wish sometimes that we would go out more and, and talk about projects and things like that because, yeah yeah development especially indie development seems like such a it can be so isolating so it's great to have that community in place that's true yeah and there's a lot of like even if, if there are no people in your area specifically there's a lot of like online groups that people get, they get together so mm -hmm. but I, I that would be a good advice yeah like if you can get you can get get together with other developers and also change your project as that's actually does help a, a whole lot i can definitely say from experience that it does have help us a lot to keep pushing us ourselves forward what kind of at what point when you were guys developing the game did you bring it to kickstarter and what was that like well we for kickstarter we decided to make the goal of having a very decent demo uh for the for the game and originally the demo would not would uh wasn't going to be part of the main story it was going to be like a piece Stand, on itself standing. so it wouldn't influence but in the end, we put so much effort in that part that we decided to implement it into the final game. We divided the game by chapters, and yeah, it turns out it, it turned out very well. We we were able to item things and make it part of the whole story. And with that idea in mind, uh, we started looking for uh, uh, music assets with Zach, which we already had a person for that, and 
He did a wonderful job. He even surprised us with uh, a live recordings of the music, which, which wow. wasn't really? wasn't planned at all. He he just like uh, was off for a few for a few days, and all of a sudden he showed up with all those recordings, and oh, he said that's that. Cool. Yeah, that he wanted to put as much effort as we did in the project, and that was very heartwarming. And uh, and the music is great. Uh, and, yeah, he did a, a beautiful job. Uh, with all that in mind, um, yeah, we, we polished the demo as much as we could, and we send it uh, we send it out there to Kickstarter. No, yeah, because uh, basically we also wanted to make sure we had like a. I guess the demo we divided it into five chapters, and the demo was kind of meant to be like a little bit, uh, like a taste of the gameplay loop, I suppose. Where we wanted to make sure, like we had everything together. It's just like having a like something like a, a full, complete version of like a little part of the game. So that's why we're probably mentioned like the whole polishing. We wanted to look like it will be like a part of a, of the final game. The idea was to keep it short. But as it turns out, the gameplay of the game demanding it for be fairly long since a whole chapter is what includes the loop of the game or its essence for just to keep it simple. So yeah, it had to be, uh, it ended up being a pretty long demo. Yeah, I was surprised. I feel like that's a very gutsy move to make your vertical slice like two hours. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't even intentional. I actually thought it would be it would be like shorter. I thought it would be like, oh, yeah, there's probably uh like uh maybe 30 minutes of content here or 40 minutes. The thing is that when you keep playing your game uh like over and over again, you basically start getting familiarized and it doesn't feel as long until you get into actually recording. And not only that, but you actually see other people playing the game, but they don't know exactly how the mechanics work or how everything turns out. It turns out that yeah, they, someone new trying out the game, they're gonna, they're they're gonna. I don't get, I don't have the word right now for it. I guess they will need to find and get familiar with the mechanics, and you kind of forget about that whole process. Yeah, they have way more to experience. Yes, yeah. that would be uh, uh, a better way to put it. That us knowing the game and going from back and forth, and in a way, we were trying to be prepared for that. But as it turns out, is it it tends to be. Uh, more than we expected. Mm. Uh, yeah, so I think now is probably a good time for us to go to our musical break for the episode. And that is going to be the song Clonk by Duality Micro. So enjoy that and we'll be back soon.
Welcome back to the Pixel Pizza Podcast. You just listened to Clonk by Duality Micro. And now we are back with our special guests, Paolo and Pavel, and talking about Culebra and the Souls of Limbo. And I know that it mentioned on the Kickstarter page that it was it was like a relaunch. Uh, so it was like, the, was it the first one was the demo and then the next one was the full game? Or was it well, that like the first version of the Kickstarter didn't work out or I wasn't totally... Oh, that's a good question. I completely forgot about that step. So uh, we tried uh, uh, the Kickstarter uh, first time, and it actually didn't su- uh, succeed. So we, we had the, I guess just to clarify, uh, we had the demo ready even from the first Kickstarter. Uh, we the Kickstarter has both both have been for like funding the well the first one was to get funding for the whole game. Yeah, both Kickstarters had the same demo, mm-hmm. but the thing is that the first one uh, didn't quite make it. So we decided to work a bit more in uh, a few things as we were preparing preparing ourselves for the next Kickstarter. Uh, being uh, not very social uh, human beings, because <laughs> mm-hmm. we didn't have a very strong audience or 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 group, not even Discord or anything. So we decided to work on that and spread the word of the game a little bit better. And then with that, we launched the, launched the second Kickstarter, which that's why it's titled Relaunched. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, we, I guess something we should mention that even though the first Kickstarter didn't actually reach its goal, it did actually do something that we value a lot, that it was spread the word to, to a lot of people about the game. And actually, most of the people that found out about our game, I guess most, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. They found out about, about, the, about the game through Kickstarter. So even though we didn't actually reach our goal, the first one, we do really found met a lot of wonderful people who, who inspire, inspire us and encourage us to give it another shot. I uh, would even say that the first kick, Kickstarter uh, was the best, uh, the best strategy or, or attempt to gather people around the project because uh, it, it, it was where most of the awareness and, 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 and noise for the game uh, came for people, people willing to, to, to help to, uh, uh, to play it and give their opinions. And thankfully, it was a very good uh, reception. That, that's another reason, another thing that kept us going. People really liked the game in a, in a more, in a very emotional way. So mm. uh, it, it was doing what we intended in that sense. Yeah, we took what we learned from the first one and we we took that as a lesson and tried to work uh, to find ways to solve the issues we had as well as also having a, a bit a more, I guess, achievable goal, a more like prepare ourselves to be able to have a more, what do you, I said achievable, I guess, yeah, more and more achievable goal. And also, like, try to change a little bit of our strategy, what we're, what we're showing. And yeah, from there, we actually, the second time around, we had, uh, we did go through and we're pretty happy to be finally working on for making the full game. Yeah, it's, it's great to hear you were able to achieve it in the end. What were, the biggest things you felt like you learned from the first one that carried you into the second? Uh, for, let's see. Well, one thing is to keep the goal, uh, the goal numbers, uh, uh, I would say realistic, yeah. I guess, for the lack of a better term, uh, and to, uh, to, 
a reasonable number, not only for us, but for the uh, the contributors or the spectators, because when you have big numbers to, to fill, people can be unmotivated and they can uh, avoid the project because they don't believe it's going to make a, to make it. So it's some kind of like a spiral effect in which uh, people jump out and people don't want to help because the goal is further. But the more the more people you need, the more the people jump out of the project. So it's a weird cycle that it's best to be avoided. Um, and something uh, before before ending, something important is that if you're going to make a small goal. It has to be something that you can make your project with. Don't just make a small number hoping to make whatever uh, amount you ask for and then not knowing how to get the other amount because uh, that that's a big problem. So, yeah. yeah. Thankfully, we were able to get the other funding by other means. So we, were, we managed to cut the Kickstarter expectations by more than half. Oh, great. That's good to know. Good to keep in mind for sure. Was it difficult to kind of pick yourselves back up when the first one didn't work or did you feel motivated by, you know, the good things that did happen? Oh yeah. We, it's a, a 50, 50, because in a way we were very bummed by not making the goal and it's hard to look into the future and, and picking up your, your work to retry again after after failing for that type of things. But thankfully the community and the people we gathered around gave us a lot of strength to retry. And, and it really felt like uh, it, it was something worth trying again. Yeah, honestly, I think if I'm not misremembering, of course, I think the hard, the toughest part was actually the first few days of the Kickstarter and maybe the mid, the midway, because the, unfortunately, unfortunately with how Kickstarter works, like you can, uh, usually it's very momentum heavy. And if you cannot get like the goal within within like a short amount of time, or if you're not picking the momentum quickly enough, uh, it, it, you don't see like, it's kind of clear from the start that maybe the project is not going to, it's not going to make it. Like, it's not always like that. Of course, there are exceptions, but it's very dreading to see that happening on the moment, especially if so the first few weeks, I say, they were really tough, the, tough. But after the fact, actually, when the Kickstarter ended, and uh, as Pablo has mentioned, after everyone has to, like, everyone told us to support us and told us to keep going, it was actually easier to to actually pick ourselves back up and start again. Of course, we were pretty bummed out because we actually had to find another way to make it work. But at least we had the motivation to actually go forward and try to make, and try to find a way to make it work. That's great to hear. So, I mean, something else uh, I've been thinking a lot about is, at least in the games that I've been playing a lot lately or seeing a lot lately, is that, you know, the themes of like death and passing on have been very prominent and like just thinking about your own mortality can be kind of scary. <laughs> and so, yeah, what is it like working on a game with such heavy themes like that? Well, I have to say that uh, uh, Majora's Mask, which is uh, my favorite game, by the way, uh, personally, uh, really uh, set up the mood for that in which the, I would say that the, the, the main thing that the game uh, tackles, uh, Culebra, 
it's uh, or even Majora's Mask sometimes. It's about um, moving on or learning to accept things in a way. So from that perspective, we we try to tackle that feeling of uh, of under trying to to pretty much accept things or for what they are or or the idea of breaking through a, a loop or something that uh, uh, binds you to to a problem for lack of a better term as well and yeah but the the theme of death in a way as an artistic choice too it's something that i maybe sounds a bit morbid but i can enjoy in a way uh or at least i find i find very uh, uh it really calls my attention in a way for 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 this thing in particular no. But not in a not not in a morbid way. It's just that it may sound like that. It's just that I think it, it is very romantic and it can be very beautiful the way that you can express characters coming to terms with these type of uh, problems and representing it as moving on with that language. What would you say are like the like one to three biggest things you want people who haven't heard of the game to know about it? Well. Um, this one, this one might be funny, but one thing to know is that it's not an RPG, even though it looks like Paper mm-hmm. Mario, <laughs> in in a way, which uh, was an artistic uh, an artic- artistic choice. Besides, uh, besides uh, that came from uh, the game looking like a pop up book, but that that doesn't matter much. The, the, just as a silly thing, I guess it's not an RPG. And two, uh, it's a game about. Uh, empathy and connection mm. and i guess i guess i'll go ahead with third yeah, uh, the game the game doesn't have combat uh, per se it's uh, it's entirely puzzle solving but it does have confrontation you know not exactly combat wise but it's a game that tests you for paying attention to details there's a uh, i guess i guess it's fine if we, if we mentioned the the, the Oh yeah, well, yeah, the the dark, dark encounter towards the end of the game, towards the end of the demo. Uh, there's a uh, one. The game will test you on your knowledge about the characters, actually, and it's like the closest thing the game has to combat. Uh, it's like a little uh, mini game where the characters test you, test like what you. They ask you questions about what you have learned through the game, and the whole game goes out goes around that of you like learning details and using those details to solve puzzles like oh he told me that i can't do this and we thought about like implementing that more in a combat like way similar to games like uh ace attorney where oh, there's sure. like the ace attorney yeah uh the phoenix right uh yeah the game that the game is mostly uh, puzzle solving but it does have a little bit of non-traditional uh confrontation let's say I like that. Yeah, I love with Ace Attorney that it is just, you know, presenting the facts, but it feels so much like combat, <laughs> like you're fighting the prosecutor. Exactly. Yeah, that's actually, a very good, uh, 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 something actually, very similar. Actually, that game was a huge inspiration for that uh, whole encounter mechanic because I actually had played those games and I found it very fun. And I just thought to myself, hey, if they can make this whole thing of uh, arguing with another person and presenting evidence, if they can make it fun, I'm sure we can use that as a tool for the game and because it, one conscious decision we have from the start is to not have combat in the game. Mm-hmm. But we we took inspirations from that and yeah, try experimented a lot and came up with what we had there. Yeah, sounds 
like you're doing a lot to make it unique and make it more than just the inspirations. Oh yeah, yeah. So again, we try to to blend blend things and combine them to create this new this new idea. With it's more like coming from that nostalgia or that or that idea of things that made us enjoy the games and trying to to implement those feelings into into this game. I would say it's almost like a real amalgamation of <laughs> all the games we have played. <laughs> But no, yeah, but we actually do try to make a conscious decision of like everything we introduce, it makes sense within the context of the game, uh, what we're expecting from the players. Uh, can you elaborate on that? Oh, uh, it's just like when we introduce a mechanic, like for example, uh, I guess if we go back to the encounter when we were talking, when the characters ask you questions or things that you have uh, learned on the game, about the game, and they ask you like to see if you have been paying attention. It kind of goes together with the mechanic of the game about learning things about the characters. You learn about their schedules and you use that information to actually solve some puzzles. And the questions they ask you are actually the same that you apply or are similar to the ones you apply to the through the main quest. Uh -huh. So it's not like I'm gonna throw a curveball and ask you about something like uh, like suddenly that has nothing to do. Or like for example, having an action game, and suddenly I asked you about details about other characters when it was never like expected. I guess that's something uh, I did that because I had a little bit of a bad moment with another with another game called Banjo Kazooie. Oh, a, I love that game. <laughs> it was a 3D platformer, but it kind of bothered me towards the end of the game, where they actually I started making you a trivia quest. Oh, like, right. Uh, they they said, yeah, on, on yeah. the trivia. <laughs> I, I didn't see that coming at all. Uh, I basically had to brute force my way through it, dying over and over again, just like five <laughs> different answers, because I was never expecting the game to actually care for those teeth, uh, to pay attention for those details. So I tried to make like the conscious decision, like, okay, if I'm going to introduce that, is that something that the player is going to be like, uh, is that something I I train, uh, I told the player that is is going to become coming. Uh, like the that's that's why I say that I really am learned to not like have combat in the game per se, like traditional combat, because the game doesn't like by making sure it runs around the whole investigating and applying information and using information as a tool and key items. You could even you could even say in a way that uh, each each chapter is a whole tutorial for it, for the conclusion of it. So oh. pretty much you just gather information and you learn slowly what to do to the to the ending of the of the whole conflict or 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 situation that rolls around that chapter. Awesome. I like that. So it's all very connected. Yes. Comes full circle. Yes, mm -hmm. exactly. So what's something about your guys' process working together that nobody knows? Well, we'll have to guess explain what people know. <laughs> yeah, I would say that one thing is that our uh, our working flow it's a bit uh, uh, very uh, visceral in a way in which we we have a very uh, uh, brainstorming uh, way of working into puzzles and things since. We live in, in the same place and we, we share very similar ideas. Uh, usually our process is not very uh, maybe synthesized, I would say, or, or very uh, maybe organized, I would say, since uh, at least at the start, since it's so easy for us to iterate things that it comes more of a doodle 
process in which we just doodle mechanics and doodle um, characters and art, etc. We can just jump around those more easily due to the due to the proximity that we have and, and the time and, and the time we have spent working before. So it's a very organic process. Yeah, that sounds better organic. <laughs> <laughs> to, add, to add to that, uh, I guess uh, to, keep, uh, to what Paulo was saying about us uh, living next to each other, that's a good advantage. That's a very good advantage you have of having smaller studios is that you can actually like iterate and give ideas and come up with stuff uh, like on the moment more easily like we we do plan things out and we have like a general framework to work around but we do have a, we do a lot of experimentations until we find like what we are comfortable with and mm -hmm. it's a lot more difficult with a bigger team because you need to have everyone on the same page and if you're constantly oh, changing yeah. stuff uh, and keeping everyone on the same page is much more difficult but since uh, we can just talk to each other at any time we can quickly like reiterate like, oh, maybe this idea will work better or maybe we could change things this way. Exactly. Um, it, it, we don't like, we plan things a bit, but we don't have like a, we don't have something that is too rigid in the sense like we're flexible. We're ready to change things. Away. Very malleable, yes. That's um, important for sure. So you have a lot of like pieces of paper with doodles on them strewn across. Oh, yeah. Your oh, place. Well, actually, I, I have this one right here. That, yeah. uh, that I know you can, maybe no one can see it again. Oh, I can see it. That's like, great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but we have plenty yeah. of like sketches and good things like that, uh, that pretty much uh, roll around. And well, something important to also uh, point out is that even though it's a very organic process, we have an idea of how the game is going to conclude, for example. Mm -hmm. It's just that the details in between and how things are going to connect in the end are very flexible. And that allows us to experiment with mechanics and add things that weren't there originally before. Uh, so yeah, it, it can be, it, things can end up uh, looking very different than what we had planned at the start, although they keep the same spirit. I mean, it just happened with chapter two, which is the one we're, uh, we just finished uh, working uh, on. Uh, well, we finished working like a, a few months ago, I think. Oh yeah, well, actually <laughs> a few <laughs> months ago. But we, we finished at least the first phase of that chapter or second, maybe it's up for a third now uh, that it's going to solidify it. But yeah, uh, originally we had the storyboard for it and things were uh, fairly uh, solidified in a way, but due to the nature of our work and when we try the chapter, we see and we test things, some things doesn't feel, some of the things didn't feel so nice in, in, in practice. So we decided to add new characters, remove characters, uh, add mechanics, maybe remove mechanics and mm -hmm. things like that. And, and those iterations were, were pretty, uh, pretty quick and, because they still they still like go around the same like overall story or message we want to tell and the same setting yeah. it's mostly like the, the details that change exactly the details in between in between the start and the end and that type of things i guess it would be very rough for bigger studios depending on multiple people to to do but given that the two of us do most of the of the heavy heavy lifting making that type of change uh, it's not it's not such a, a big deal i guess play to play to your uh, team strengths i guess yes that's that's good advice for sure 
Uh, those were all the main questions I had. Was there anything else you guys wanted to chat about or wish I had asked? Every time I get to ask a question like that, I always get blank because I panic. Well, like, oh, we can we can give a few details about the game too. Actually, yeah, totally. Things, uh, Go ahead. Can make it interesting. Well, one thing is that um, the game, it's uh, what the demo, what it represented. It's one chapter out of five, and the game in total is expected to be around maybe 10 hours to 15 hours of gameplay, the yeah, final the final version. And uh, of course, that would depend on, on, on each player. That, right. that's, since the, the, the game has such a non-linear way of making progress, given that you can skip time, et cetera, and explore around. But yeah, that's uh, the average time that we expect the game to have. Um, we're, we're planning to have the game be, uh, be released sometime in 2024. Mm. That's the expected release date. Uh, what else? And yeah, I guess uh, on our Kickstarter page, we frequently, uh, every every month, the 24th, we give we give a small like look uh, like an update of the game. And so if anyone is curious to check how the game is going at any point, uh, you can always go to the Kickstarter page and updates and see what's new. Definitely one thing that I've noticed that kind of separates like the good Kickstarters from the bad is that the good ones are constantly communicating with the backers, okay. showing updates on the game and everything. Good to know. I didn't have much of a, actually for the obvious, didn't have much of a like, point of reference, but I did wanted to make sure like, hey, we give people, uh, I, I think people deserve to know at least like once a month, uh, like uh, to know how, how the game is going. Um, just like, like we're still there, we're still working mm -hmm. on it. And we're making nice progress with it. We will share a few screenshots there and just give people like looking forward to it. and just like excited to know that the game is actually coming to fruition. Totally. So I have to end off. This is the Pixel Pizza Podcast. Uh, what is your favorite pizza place? Oh, oh my favorite pizza place. I oh, have. Do you, do, do you have one? Uh, if I say home, is that a valid, uh, a valid uh, option? Uh, <laughs> I guess, well, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, whatever pizza you like best. Yeah, I guess the homemade one. Homemade. So. Yeah, we go for home. I guess that's uh, we sometimes we yeah we sometimes get the uh, the ingredient like a sometimes get ingredients or like a, a pizza and we yeah. actually like customize it a little bit. Too. Oh, so what does your homemade pizza look like? What's kind of your recipe? Uh, let's see. So uh, we have different we have different tastes in that regard. So I would say that mine it's more of a mix of. Uh, uh, Let's see, uh, like tofu, uh, tofu like meat, and some veggies here and there, mushrooms, mm. um, uh, green peppers, uh, even onions, and not pineapple. I, I'm not a fan. Of it. <laughs> uh, it, it, it tastes okay, and uh, and I can eat it, but I prefer not. I prefer. Yeah. Not. I'm not going to make a war over it, but right. I, I, I can avoid it. Yes. Oh, yeah, the one, the one actually I we I have on my side is actually uh, it's just like Italian sausage, I think it is. Uh, uh, there's also ham and mushrooms and olive oil and cheese. Yeah, I keep forgetting the cheese. I guess I should mention uh, uh, tomato sauce, but I don't know if there's a pizza <laughs> with, without tomato sauce. Yeah, that's that's rare. 
There's yeah. a brownie one. There's a what? A brownie one. Like oh. the, 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 huh? the ones that oh, Domino's dessert had. dessert pizza, yeah. Yeah, dessert pizza. Dessert pizza. It sounds familiar, but yeah, I think I said, I think I seen it, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, for some reason, I felt like I did it, but yeah, I only seen it once. Mm -hmm. That's a rare thing. So great. That's I, I want to try both of those. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, where is the best place for people to keep track of you guys in the game? Twitter, I would say Twitter and Twitter. We also have a Discord and I guess if we Oh yeah. Because uh, there are different things. Uh, well if you want to specifically look for game up for the update of the game state, it will be on our Kickstarter update post. Yeah, but or anything uh, else, Twitter and our on our Discord. Yeah, those are the best places, Twitter and Discord. Great. Discord, it's it's more flexible because you can uh, reach to us more directly. And we we try to answer questions as soon as possible. So, Cool. Then I'll make sure people know about those. So thank you guys both so much for joining me today. Oh, no, thank you, Jared. For inviting us. Yeah, very grateful for it. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to be here and had a lot of fun. I'm glad, <laughs> me too. This is another slice of Pixel Pizza signing off. And we are heading out with one final track from Duality Micro. And that is called Flimsy. So enjoy that and we'll see you next week. Oh.